You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. A number of years ago, in fact, but it, it, it just came out in the news this week, uh, but a number of years ago, Kathy Lee Gifford and uh, the radio shock jock, <laughs> Howard Stern, um, had a discussion with one another for 30 years. Listen to this. 30 years, Howard Stern had belittled, mocked, made fun of, Um, said rude, crude, and socially unacceptable comments about Kathy Lee Gifford, mainly because of her personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about Howard Stern, he's not just rude, he's downright filthy. And for 30 years, uh, he had been saying these things about her, and the interesting thing is that they had never met. They'd never spoken. Now, both of them at the time were working in the NBC building, and her people did everything they could, different floors. They were on different floors, but the same building would do everything they could to get her through the building and out of the building without her ever running into Howard Stern. And Howard Stern's people, they tried to keep him from everybody because every, he said something about everybody that's out there. So they kind of maneuver him and handle him and One day, uh, Kathy Lee Gifford, this, I saw it this week. I think it was an interview this week where she made the comment that one day she saw him. Her group was trying to maneuver her out of the way. His group was trying to maneuver him. He never saw her, but she saw him. And she said, oh, there's Howard Stern. She said, I got onto my office and she said in the office, she said, the Lord just spoke to her and said, Kathy, go speak to him. Go down to his office. Stick your head in the door and just speak to him. That's all you need to do. And so she said, I I, I was going to be obedient. I felt like that's what the Lord had said. So she told her staff, I'm going down. I'm going to Howard Stern's office. I'm just going to speak to him. And she said, they were all upset. But she said, just calm down. It's okay. It's all right. I'll be back. And so she took off. Now, she said, (laughs) she said, you know, in flats, I went down in flats. I'm five, six, and he is six, six. So she said, I slipped down to his office, looked in the door and uh, startled him. And I said, uh, hi, I'm Kathy Lee. I think it's about time that we said hello. I just want to wish you all the best on the new show. And that's it. Just take care. Have a good day. And Kathy Lee said she turned around and left. She said, I didn't think any more about it, but she said that afternoon I got on a plane to fly back home because their son was going to graduate that weekend. And uh, she said when she landed, she saw that she had a voicemail, and it was a voicemail from Howard Stern who was asking her to forgive him. And so she said, well, you know, that's nice. I, I really do appreciate that. I wonder if he'll call back. And he did. He called back later on that evening. And in that 20-minute conversation, Howard Stern came and he said, I want you to forgive me. I want to ask your forgiveness. And Gifford said to him, Howard, I'm so happy for you. Anytime you start asking people to forgive you is the beginning of happiness in your life. You're not a happy man. 
you never have been, and so much of the hurtful things you say comes from, I know your background, that you've been so hurt. I always understood that, and of course, I forgive you. But you've got to know something, Howard. You've got to know that I forgave you 30 years ago when you first started talking about me the way you did. I forgave you 30 years ago, Howard, and I've been praying for you ever since. I bet that just wrecked his day. Can you imagine? <laughs> He's got to deal with that. He's got to think about that. What would possess a person to be that forgiving over a 30-year period? Somebody I'd never met, but somebody that I'd constantly spoke in such disparaging terms about. We've been looking at forgiveness, and there are so many aspects to forgiveness, just like that one right there. Kathy Lee Gifford said, I forgave you 30 years ago. We've not even talked about that aspect of forgiveness. You can, by choice, forgive somebody even though they've never asked you to forgive them. You don't have to wait for somebody to say, will you forgive me? You can, by choice, choose to forgive them. And there are other aspects of this whole issue of forgiveness that we deal with. One of the things that we deal with, I deal with it, you deal with it, happens to be the fact that we remember our own sin. And we struggle with that. In fact, these sins come back and we think about the things that we've done and we begin to ask the question, God, why can I not forget those things that you have forgiven me of? Why, can, why do I constantly, why is it constantly coming back why are my past sins haunting me like this? And why can I not get beyond the fact, if you've forgiven me, shouldn't I be able to forget it? Well, the fact of the matter is, Paul never forgot his sins. Did you know that? Paul never forgot his sins. Look at 1 Timothy with me. It's just a page or two back from Philemon. Uh, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, listen to what Paul says. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into the service, even though I was formerly. Now watch this. He's going to list off three big sins in his life. Not all of his sins, but three major sins. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. He remembered his sin. And you say, well, I remember my sin, and this just doesn't make sense. I would think that if God forgave me, I would be able, I wouldn't be haunted by my sins. I thought he took all that stuff away. Listen, you may not forget your sins, but you can benefit from your sins, your, the memory of your sins, the memory that they are forgiven. You can benefit from that. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul says one of the benefits of remembering your past sin is that it drives you to the place of thanking God for your forgiveness. Then I go back to him. Look at what he says in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm thanking him. I'm thanking him that he's forgiven me, that he called me into his service. Uh, the second thing about it is that it destroys pride in a believer's life. When you remember your past sins, it has an impact on your pride because a lot of us like to walk around and act as if we've never sinned, but when we remember the sin in our lives, it really humbles us. You see what Paul says here? Paul says in verse 15, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. He says, I'm the, I'm the head of all sinners. I'm the first guy in line. I'm the biggest sinner that there ever was. Now, what does that do for your pride? The third thing is this. 
You become an example. Look at verse 16. For this reason I found mercy, so that in me is the foremost, being the biggest sinner of all, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect, perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. He says, I remember my sins and it's good for this purpose that God has forgiven me and he wants to use me as an example to others that he will forgive them as well. I'll never forget my first church. In my first church, we were way, it was so far out in the country, they had to pump sunlight in. I mean, we were way, way out in the country. And we lived in a little old parsonage built, built on a cow pasture. And we had, Courtney was a baby and Debbie, we were just married and had a baby. And this was my first church and I had not gone to seminary and I was out of school. And I know people couldn't believe when I, when I, when they ordained me to preach, people couldn't believe it. People in my hometown said, we aren't you, you're preaching. Listen, one of the most, I don't know what to say. He was a bad boy in high school. He showed up on a Sunday morning to hear me preach. Do you remember that? You don't remember who that was? I can't tell you who he is. He's in your family though. No, he's a, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I can't mention his name. He shows up. He couldn't believe that I was preaching. He showed up just to see, is this real? And you said, well, what did you do? Well, they know, but you ain't going to find out. So anyway, that's what Paul says. I'm an example for everybody who says, gosh, there goes Paul. Do you remember? He was the guy that held the coats to those that stoned Stephen. So he says, you may not forget your sins, but you can benefit in the fact that God will use those things for his glory. Isn't that an amazing thought? So we struggle with our own sin. But now listen, here's a place where we really get down to struggle. And we struggle with forgetting what somebody has done to us. And in fact, we come to the place where we will not forgive them. We will not forgive them because we say, I can't forgive you because I cannot forget. I can't get over it. I can't get beyond it. I can't get past this. Uh, I, I, you know, I just remember this. I dwell on it, and I can't forget it, so I cannot forgive it. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you the service. Find that in the Scripture somewhere, where forgiveness means you've got to forget. Do you understand how God created you? He created you with a memory. He created you with the ability to remember things, and those things that hurt us, that wound us deeply are deeply ingrained into our thought patterns. When you make a memory, listen, God so created your brain that you can make 600 memories a second. Now that is an astounding thought, but that's how God created you. There is this electrical impulse, this spark of electricity that sets off a chemical reaction and it forms this memory between these neurons, between these synapses in your brain. And the more you think about it, the deeper it is embedded and the more pronounced it becomes because we so often don't forget what somebody's done to us because we hit the replay button over and over and over again. And every time we live back through it, every time we go back over what they did. We embellish it and it deepens that thought and it makes that thought more pronounced in our memory. And we simply can't forget it because we think about it and we think about it and we think about it and we think about it. Now, what's the answer to that? I'm sure you all 
are familiar with the name Corey Ten Boom. If not, you should read uh, that uh, woman's story. She was a phenomenal, unbelievable tool in the hand of God. Her father, of course, lived in, um, in Harlem, in Holland. And they were Dutch, and they were helping Jews and the free Dutch escape the Nazis. They were caught. And when they were caught, they were all loaded up onto trains and sent to concentration camps. And Corey and her sister Betsy were sent off to Ravensbrück, which was the famous uh, Nazi women's concentration camp. And something there happened to her. They brought these women in. There were male guards there. They would strip them of their clothes. They would shave their heads. They would delouse them. And then they would cram them into these quarters. And so many of these women were just horribly abused in that place. She never talks about what it was, but she said she was hurt there. And she said she prayed about it, and she asked the Lord to forgive that person. And she said, Lord, I want to forgive that person as well. But through several years, she could not sleep at night. And she would wake up in the night, and she would remember what had happened. And she would go to the Lord, and she said, Lord, I've forgiven this person as best I can. I've forgiven this person, but I cannot forget. And every night, it was the same thing. She would wake up, and through the night, all she could think about was the abuse that she had suffered, what she had gone through, so much so that she went to a pastor. She went to a Lutheran pastor there in Germany, and she asked him, she said, what am I to do with this? She explained her situation, and he took her outside, and he said, do you see that bell tower right there? She said, yes. He said, well, we ring that bell a number of times a day. He says, but we will ring that bell and ring that bell and ring that bell so that when we turn loose of the rope, that bell still ding-dongs. It still goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it will eventually begin to diminish, until it winds down and slowly stops. He says, that's what you've got to learn to do. Listen to this. He said to her, and she, she quoted him, if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming up for a while. Many of us are doing that. Just out of anger, just out of frustration, we continue to pull the bell of unforgiveness. We continue to pull the bell of remembrance. They're just the ding-dongs, but he says, when you let it go, he says, there are just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down until it's ding dong Ding, dong, ding, dong. And Corey Ten Boom said that she discovered when she stopped pulling that rope of that memory that there were several sleepless nights, but then they began to diminish, and the memory began to diminish, and they came less frequently and with less intensity. Forgiveness. Philemon. The only chapter, verse 19, Paul comes and he's saying this at the end of this epistle, that we as Christians must be willing to forgive and we must be willing to rebuild broken relationships. That's how Paul's going to end this little letter that we've been looking at now. This is the fourth Sunday. How we must be willing to forgive 
and willing to rebuild broken relationships. I want you to look at this, and let me just give you a couple of points this morning. Number one, we all owe this enormous debt that we cannot pay. Now, you've heard that expression before. That's not anything new. Uh, I owe a debt that I cannot pay. And um, out of that, we, we admit that we owe God a debt. But listen, you owe other people a debt as well that you can't repay. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here when he comes in verse 19 and he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Now, Paul didn't usually do this. You remember back in Galatians, he says, do you see with what, with, with, with what large letters I'm writing you? Paul had some issue with his eyes. We don't know what it is. Some people have made, I think, more out of it than they should. Some people say that was his thorn in the flesh. I don't think so. But he had bad eyesight. He had poor eyesight possibly had malaria that affects that it affected his eyes or he had some kind of issue with his eyes. And so uh, writing for him was kind of difficult, but he writes this personally to Philemon. He says, do you see, I'm writing this with my own hand. It's to add emphasis. There's an emphasis here, Philemon. I'm, I'm coming to you personally and I'm writing this. And what I'm writing you is this, I will repay now, Onesimus has nothing. He's a runaway slave. What he stole, he's already, he's already gone through. He's like, almost like the prodigal son. He's just gone through it. He has nothing now, and there's no future for him, and he's got to come back to you. He's got to come back to you, but when he comes back to you, he has absolutely nothing. He has no resources, no ability to pay you back, but don't worry about that, Philemon. I will repay I will pay you back. Don't hold that against him. Don't be unforgiving because when he comes back, he's broke. He has spent everything that he's taken from you. I will repay you. You ever been there? I've been there. <laughs> I've been there before where all you could do is just go and stand in front of somebody and say, listen, I'm, I'm just coming with my hat in my hand and I'm just apologizing. I don't have any way to make... Uh, make up for this. I don't have any way to repay for this. All I can do is just stand here and say, I'm sorry. I apologize. All of us have been there. All of us have done that. All of us have been in need of somebody to forgive us when we had no way of making restitution for what we did. But now watch it, what Paul says. Paul looks at Philemon and says, I will repay not to mention to you, you owe to me even your own self as well. He says, you've got a debt, Philemon. It's not just Onesimus. He has a financial and a tangible debt, but you've got a spiritual and an eternal debt, and you can't repay that, and nobody can repay that for you. What he owed Paul was the fact that Paul had shared with him the gospel and had introduced him to Jesus Christ and that he came to Jesus Christ because Paul's message and because of the gospel of Christ that Paul shared with him. He said, you owe me that and you can't repay it. Now, as I think about that, I want to tell you something, folks. We all owe people that we cannot repay. I do. I, I can tell you right now, I, as I think back, both my mom and dad are, have been gone to glory for a while now. But I can tell you something. I owe my mom and dad a debt I could never repay. There were times I was disrespectful until my dad showed up. 
And there were times that I would say things I should not say. There were times that I, I was a little rebellious. There were times I was ornery. There were times I was moody. There were times I was this, that, and the other. There were a lot of times like that. And yet constantly through that whole time called teenage years, they loved me, cared for me. They helped us when we got married. They helped me through seminary. They helped me through college. They helped me get through. I didn't have anybody there to catch me. Nobody, I'm not even going to say it. There was nobody there to pay that bill but me and my daddy. And so we did that. He educated me. He fed me. He clothed me. He gave me work. And they did more for me than I could ever repay. If I had another lifetime to live, I could never repay my mom and dad for what they've done for me. You need to think about that. You need to stop and think about that, young people. When you feel like you're treated unfairly and you're not listened to and things aren't going your way and things you don't get things that you like, you need to stop and think. This is as difficult for them as it is you, probably more so, and you'll never be able to repay your parents for what they've done for you. I've got a wife I can't repay. If I live 10 more lifetimes, I could never repay this woman for what she's done for me. There are times this woman has not just stood beside me, but she stood behind me. There have even been moments when she stood in front of me to take slings and arrows that were intended for me to protect me. I want to tell you something. I, listen, that great theologian that wrote that wonderful hymn, Ain't No Woman Like the One I Got. <laughs> I, I, that's the way I feel. I will for all my life and eternity be indebted to a wife who has been better to me than I've ever been to her. I owe my children a debt of gratitude. I stop and think what my children had to live through growing, growing up, being a pastor's child. They were expected to do what other children were not, to behave in a way that other children were not, to, you know, never to make a mistake, never to be imperfect, always to be straight-A student, always to do this, always do that. And I stop and think about what my children, and yet I know, I know because I've seen it and I've heard it, that my children tried so often not to embarrass me because I was a pastor. I owe them for that. I paid them a plenty, but I still, I still owe them. I still owe them. I owe a lot of laymen, not preachers, laymen. In every church I've ever been in, God's put around me a group of men that I've been able to trust implicitly. I, I, there have been a group of men that have been around me that I've been able to lean on and look to who would give me good, solid advice and direction that I've been able to bounce things off of that I could be me around. I appreciate that. I'm thankful for that. There are a group of men that, listen, I'm where I am today because a group of men who cared for me, and I owe them a debt I can never repay. Staff is that way. Now, I'm going to say this to you as a church. You don't know how to be thankful. I pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas, and I Baptist pastored First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, and I had hundreds of people on staff in both of those congregations, but I've never had a better staff than I have at uh, Valleydale Church. The staff that are here are excellent. They don't do what they do for money, I can tell you, although you pay them well. Now, when have you ever heard a preacher stand in the pulpit and tell you that before? They're usually begging for something. You pay us well. You do well. And I think God blesses this church because of it. But they are not here for your money. They are here because they have a heart for Jesus Christ and ministry, and these people love you. These people care for you. You matter to them. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. We're not. 
But I want to tell you something. You'd be hard-pressed to find a staff that's better than the staff you have at Valleydale. Now, I'm not talking about the preacher. You could do better than that. But the rest of the staff, let me tell you, I owe them a debt. They represent me. You just let one of them do something dumb. Who hears about it? It's my fault. But I can tell you right now, I, I, we've got a staff here. Listen, I owe them a debt. I, I owe them a debt I don't think I could repay. Now, do you see? We all owe people. So look how foolish it would be for me to be unforgiving when I owe so many so much. Let me give you the second thing. The second thing that you come to in this passage is this. Forgiveness has a far wider impact than you can personally imagine. Now, I'm going to look at this personally, and I'm going to look at this corporately in two different ways. Forgiveness has an impact on other people. You and I don't have a concept of the impact that this church and how we operate here has an impact on this community. I came down to see this boy play football yesterday. I didn't know the other coach. The only coach I knew was my son-in-law. I knew Chuck. I didn't know those parents out there. I didn't know a lot of those players that were running on and off the field. And that's because this church is investing in this community and seeking every way it can to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. When we have vacation Bible school, there's a great percentage of those that are not members of this church. Down in the, 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 the academy that we have downstairs, Miss Amy runs, listen, what, 60, 70% are not members here of this church? It's a small percentage that are members of this church. We're reaching this community. We've got people in there that are Muslim. We've got children in there that come out of homes that are Hindu. We're, we're trying to minister and pour into this community here. So much of what we do in this church, you don't realize, impacts this community. And so Paul comes and look at what he says. This is personally. He said, if you can forgive, if you will forgive, let me tell you what this is going to do. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me benefit. Do you see that? That's the name Onesimus as well. He's making, again, a second play on the name of Onesimus. Let me Onesimus from you in the Lord. Let me benefit. Let me have a profit from you. Do you realize God has put you into this fellowship to benefit each other? I'm not talking about helping each other find jobs. Now, that's important, or things like that. But to be a spiritual benefit to one another because everything that Paul's going to talk about here is a spiritual benefit. You are here, and you may not think that you matter, but you are here because God put you here. Somebody can benefit from who you are. And so, Paul says, let me benefit in two ways. Number one, refresh my heart in Christ. Now, the word refresh, refresh there, it simply means this. It means to be relaxed, to be rested, to be strengthened to be strengthened uh, in order to be able to complete the job. Uh, it means to um, find strength to carry out rest. I, just a host of things. I am rested. I'm relaxed. I'm strengthened. I'm fresh. Refresh me. You ever met any? You know, it, there's some people that I will get, not anybody here, but there's some people. You ever get around somebody and you just kind of tighten up? I mean, you just really get 
uncomfortable around. And you, you tighten up and you, think, you, you can't think of a thing in the world to say. And you're wondering, how do I carry on a conversation? What do I say next? How do I respond to that? And you're just, you're so tight and you're so anxious and you're just so on edge around that person. And when that person walks off and leaves, you just start, you just, I'm drained. I don't have any energy left. I'm just exhausted. Uh, that took everything in the world. We even say this, that just took everything in the world out of me. Lord, I don't want to be that way. Lord, don't make me like that. Don't let anybody freeze up and tense up and get anxious and fearful when they come around me. I pray that the Lord would not make I want to be somebody that when you're around me, you're refreshed. You, you're relaxed. You walk away rested. You walk away lighter. You walk away feeling like, you know what? Man, I've got strength to do what I need to do now. That's what Paul says to Philemon. He says, Philemon, if you'll forgive this guy and take him back, he says, you'll benefit me by refreshing me. I'm in prison, Philemon. I am chained up to this Praetorian guard here. And he says, if you do this, he says, you will refresh my heart in Christ. I'll have strength to do what I need to do. But he said the second way is this, is he says, look, he says, having confidence, verse 21, and your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. He says, Philemon, everything I've given you to do, you have built confidence up in my life. You've built confidence up that I can trust you. I can give you a job. I can give you a task. I can give you a situation. And I have confidence that you're going to do your best. And if it can be worked out and solved, you're, you're the guy that can do it. He says that builds a confidence. But listen, let me tell you, when, when you've got confidence in a person that you choose, what does that do to you? It builds confidence in you. I have confidence in my staff here. I've got confidence in in Jeff, I've got confidence in Kirkwood. I've got confidence in everybody, or they wouldn't be on staff. I've got confidence. And that confidence, you know what that confidence? I have confidence that if I give them something, they're going to do it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to go. You ask any one of them. I don't, I don't look over their shoulder. If i got to do that, I might as well just do it myself. But I have confidence in the staff that when they're given an assignment, they do it to the best of their ability, seeking the leadership of the Lord. I have confidence in that. And I want to tell you, you know what that does? That makes me have confidence in myself. You know what? I'm pretty good at hiring people. Huh? See what I'm talking about? It gives me a confidence. Uh, the next time I've got to make a hire, and we've got a bunch of folks tonight at the, at the uh, members meeting tonight that we're going to introduce to you because we've got a bunch of new hires that we're bringing in here. And you know what? I have confidence that we've made the right call on this. Paul is saying that. He's saying that to Philemon. Philemon, I know I have confidence. He said, you do this and I know you'll do it. It builds confidence in me. Do you know everybody loved Philemon except for one person? And Philemon loved everybody else except for one person. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Paul has said, for I come to have much joy and comfort. It's what he's talking about. I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He says, through you. He says, you do that to everybody. You love everybody. Philemon, you get along with everybody except one person. 
And that one person is Onesimus. Now watch this. Here's the corporate part. There's the personal part. Here's the corporate part. He says, but everybody's watching you. Look at verse 23 and 24. You wonder, why do they put this in here? Well, I can tell you why Paul put this in here. He put this in here because he wants Philemon to know that all of these church leaders are watching him. The whole church is watching him. This whole thing is read in front of the church. But he comes down in verse 23 and 24 and he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. He's watching you, Philemon. As do Mark. There's Mark, the guy that Paul said, I will not go on this second missionary journey with you, Barnabas, if you insist on taking Mark. You go your way and you take Mark and I'll go my way and find somebody else. Some restoration and apology and forgiveness has gone on there between Paul and Mark because there in prison with Paul is Mark. This is the guy that writes the gospel of Mark. Uh, He writes the gospel of Mark from the preaching of Peter. He's useful, as you're going to find out in 2 Timothy, uh, just before Paul dies, he says, send Mark, he's useful to me. I've got use for him. He's not useless. There's Aristarchus, there's Demas, who's going to leave him at 2 Timothy 2. Luke, the doctor, my fellow worker, he says, listen, let me tell you, Philemon, all these guys here, they know. Onesimus has been here. They know the story. They're watching. A community is watching. Your children are watching. Your relatives are watching. Are we a forgiving people? Are we a forgiving congregation? Because our community watches us. And they know. I've already told you one Corey Ten Boom story. Let me tell you one more. When she and her sister Betsy were at Ravensbrook, which was a concentration camp for women. It was built to house 400 women. They had 1,400 women there. It was unbelievable. Uh, They turned these women literally into animals. They worked them to death. They crammed them into these spaces. They gave them barely enough food to sustain any kind of life. And the women began to fight. And the women began to pull each other's hair. And the women began to curse one another. And the women began shoving each other just for a small space, just to stretch out at night after working all day in, 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 in unbelievable conditions, after being abused. Betsy Ten Boone, and this is a miracle in and of itself, was able to sneak a Bible into that concentration camp. And in the midst of all of this screaming and fighting and shoving and cursing, every night Betsy would get in her bunk and would pull out that Bible. And she said as she pulled that Bible, you had Czech, you had French, you had Poles, you had German, you had Jews, you had Russians, all of these women from all of these different places Oh, she said, they would suddenly, over the whole place, there would become this this overwhelming sense of peace. I would open the Bible. I'd begin to read. And out of it, I would share a Bible story. Betsy said, all I wanted these women to know is that there was a God who loved them and a God who would forgive them. And she said, in those moments, when I opened the word of God, there would be such a peace that would fall on that place that every woman would stand where she was reverently, quietly, and in worship. You understand, church, that's what's to happen here, that we can forgive each other. 
And you say, Pastor, we're not fighting. No, we're not. And I thank God for that. Listen, let me tell you something. Everybody, nobody in the church ever remembers when we have dinner on Wednesday nights. Nobody ever remembers. We put it in the bullet. We, 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 we put it in paper. We put it on the internet. We put it on your telephone. We put it in everything. We announce. Nobody can remember when we have supper on Wednesday nights. But everybody, no one has to be told in the church who is mad at who. We know it. And let me tell you something. Unforgiveness will fracture a fellowship. And it will be what is told out in the community. It has an impact. Our forgiveness and our unforgiveness. But let me tell you that the forgiveness of God releases the transforming power of God in a person's life. Look at that last verse. He comes and he says this. Speaking, I think, to Philemon, but speaking to the church as well. And I think he's speaking this as well to Onesimus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I don't think I've unwound everything that he means in that. He says that for a reason. Be, be with your spirit. There's something there. I've not quite gotten it yet. But I think he's talking about the deepest part of your life, your spirit. That the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is released in your spirit when there is the forgiveness in life. Now close your Bibles and I'm going to close with some church history. Two great early church fathers. I'd love to talk to you about both of these. Polycarp, who was of Sm the bishop at Smyrna. And Ignatius, who was the bishop in Antioch. Uh, both of these men were arrested by Trajan, the Roman emperor. They were sent for. The Roman army arrested them. And they brought them both back to Rome. Ignatius, when he was arrested, they got him in Antioch, which is just north of Jerusalem. If you're thinking on a map, where is that? Just north of Jerusalem. In Antioch, where they were first called Christians. He leaves there. And he goes across Asia Minor, and from Asia Minor, he goes across Greece, and then he goes to Rome. On his way, he passes through uh, the city of Smyrna, where the church at Smyrna was, where Polycarp had been. They were both killed about the same time. They were both put to death about the same time. That's where Polycarp was, and he gets to Smyrna, and he is able to rest. They stop, and all the people in the church at Smyrna come out to minister to him, to bring him food, to bring him medical needs, to just minister to him, to pray with him, to care for him. Kind of like we tried to do with you guys today, just to minister to your heart, just to try to bless you, pray for you, and let you know that you're loved and cared for. There also happened to be another bishop there. He was the bishop of Ephesus. After John dies, Timothy is gone. There's another bishop there. Ephesus is not far from Smyrna. And so the bishop of Ephesus came to Smyrna to see Ignatius as well. His name was Onesimus. 
This is 40 years after Philemon has been written. Paul's dead. Peter's dead. All the apostles are dead by now. Some 40 years after this has been written. 101, 102, 105, somewhere in there. A.D. The bishop at Ephesus is Onesimus. And you say, how do you know he's the same one? Well, Ignatius writes a letter of thanks to the bishop of Ephesus for being there and ministering to him and caring for him. And in that letter, we still have that. We have a lot of the writings of Ignatius, by the way. In fact, in that letter, he does something that gives you a tip off. He says the same thing in that letter that Paul says in Philemon. May I have a benefit from you. May I have an Onesimus from you. Which tells me that Ignatius knew of the letter to Philemon. And that this Onesimus was the same Onesimus who had been a runaway slave and thief. But because of the forgiveness of Christ and the forgiveness of a brother, he can go from that to being the pastor of a church. Forgiveness. Let's stand and pray about it. Just stop and think what it would mean for you to be forgiven. To be forgiven from that person that you hurt and wounded deeply. Just think of what it would mean to you. That if there was a willingness to forgive and a willingness to ask for forgiveness. And and, and listen, a willingness to rebuild relationships that have been broken. You know, that's what Christ has done for you. We're told that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our unrighteousness. All of it. Every bit of it. That God so loved us, listen, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He paid the penalty for sin. And now he waits for us to come and to seek his forgiveness. We're told that as many as believed, to them gave he the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Somebody here this morning in this service, you've never done that. You've never come and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, I I come to ask your forgiveness. I I want your forgiveness. I want your mercy. I long for your grace. I'm in need of your love. And yet right now, the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. That's what you want to do. Do that. Just simply pray right now, Lord Jesus, I believe, Christ, that you were crucified for my sin, that you died for me to pay the penalty for my sin and that you were raised from the dead to give me eternal life. I 
pray if you've prayed that. Come to me. Share that with me. Let me share that with the congregation. But so many of us here this morning, we're struggling. We've been forgiven by Christ. But there are issues of unforgiveness still in our lives and in our hearts. Maybe as, even as a church, as a congregation, but certainly personally, individually. Lord, we can hide nothing from you. You know all things, you see all things, you hear all things. And yet, Father, you still love us. You have compassion toward us, a tenderness, a long-suffering for us. Father, I pray that in these moments, as you speak to our hearts, that we would not be resistant to what you are saying. Oh, Father, may our lives be pleasing to the one who has forgiven us so much would you come your heads bowed as God's speaking just slip out to the altar just come here to the front I'm standing here you come right now as God's speaking thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church to find more or to connect with us about what you just heard check us out at valleydale.org